Well, we did it. We got through the 60-game season. We got through the 22 days of summer camp. And, man, wasn't what we expected 2020 would be. Nothing has been what we expected 2020 would be. But on the baseball side of things for Mariners, there is plenty. Even though it was uh, just a, an abbreviated season, it should be a fully, fully packed hot stove season because there is a lot to unpack from what we saw in 2020 and a lot to get to and where this leaves them in their plan going forward. Uh, Jerry DePoto in the last week has been talking quite a bit about where he thinks they are. And I think some of his comments have been a little bit surprising in um, his optimism that they perhaps haven't lost very much ground. We're going to get to a lot of that in the next 40 minutes. I'm uh, happy to join my off season, my podcast partner, James Osborne, better known as Boy Howdy from 710 ESPN Seattle. I'm not sure how often we're going to do this, but we are going to do it as it warrants because um, off-season baseball talk, well, heck, that's what the hot stove season is all about. So get a little time to decompress from everything that's just happened. But before I do that, I thought, hey, we got to talk about it, don't we? Well, it's all still top of mind. And then we will get into uh, other topics as they come up during the off-season and then hopefully ramping up to what will be a full spring training and a full season next year. I don't have the particulars on that as of yet, but you hope things are moving in the right direction. It was interesting to see this week that MLB came out and said that they're going to allow fans at some games for the first time this season. They haven't done it anywhere, but uh, the games that are played in the Texas bubble, quote, bubble, uh, the NLCS and the World Series game will be allowed to have 11,000-ish fans present for all of those games. So I, I hope we are moving closer to that and we can get everybody back in the ballpark sometime soon. Uh, it was awfully lonely at the ballpark this year. We had our you know, assigned spots and press boxes and broadcast booths, and we got to watch the games in person, and that uh, I'm so grateful for that. But um, if I'd other, ever underestimated the impact of the fans and the crowds in baseball, which I think I probably did, uh, I am sorry about that. They were greatly missed. On a personal note, it was really tough for me to come every day and not – walk by all the people that I would normally see coming into a ballpark um, and not be able to walk around the concourse. We were very much confined to where we were uh, and see fans and, and feel the buzz and, and see kind of the joy of people at a baseball game and how different people enjoyed their baseball uh, differently, be it, uh, you know, in their seats, keeping score, uh, breaking everything down or even out in the pen, just having a good time with friends, even if it was just kind of background noise. All of it, that is part of baseball. So that all was replaced by 15,000 cardboard cutouts that <laughs> at the end of every night, especially on the road when the team wasn't even there, it was pretty much me and the 15,000 cutouts that were left in the park uh, for that last hour doing the postgame show. And uh, that was a very, very strange experience and perhaps one of the things that will most stick out to me uh, of 2020, it just, uh, I think, really illustrated where uh, we've been for the last six months, and hopefully things are moving in a much, much better direction. Regardless, uh, we will have plenty of baseball talk in the off season. Now, we will get to that with Boy Howdy in just one second. But again, just want to thank you all for tuning in uh, to the games throughout the season, and just really grateful that we have this baseball to talk about. So... Without further ado, 
Actually, more I do. Just going to give you the heads up. Howdy sounds great in this. Me, not as much. I am actually quarantining before I move back home. I did move out for the season because I have a high-risk person at home, and I just uh, didn't want to expose them to anything that I might be exposed to. Although the Mariners, I think, did a very good job at setting things up for us at the park. Um, We didn't have all the testing and everything that the players did, but I think the safety and health protocols were they were very strict and they were followed to the T and I think they made a difference. And I, I hope that um, we all can learn a lot from that because there were a lot of people that were in that building, even without the fans and the masks and, and uh, just really staying on top of what you do and who you're around and how you're feeling when you're coming into a ballpark, I, I think had a lot to do with that. And then of course, on the player's side, the constant testing and the masks, well, they proved that, you can get things going. You can keep things going if you're doing that. And now we're seeing the NFL do that. And hopefully, you know, that will kind of maybe make its way out and into the public a little bit more and we can get things going a little bit. And if they're following baseball, well, good for baseball for setting the example. But what I was going to say is uh, I am uh, quarantining away from my home right now and the Internet where I'm staying is somewhat suspect. There are times when there are kind of blips in what I'm saying. A lot have been edited out, but there are still some. Just hang in there. It'll be better next time, I promise. Get back into my house with my little setup, with my little bobbleheads behind me and my microphone and my internet, and it will all be good. So now, without further ado, we'll go ahead and start the podcast, and this is just going to break it all down, what just happened, what we saw, get some interesting thoughts on what could be next from Howdy. Well, we're still not in the same room, but at least we've got real live baseball games. And I guess what you could call a real live baseball season, 60 games that counted in 2020. I hope we never do that again. Uh, But at least we've got that to talk about. Howdy, good to have you back. Yeah, it's great to be back, Shannon. It's wonderful to hear from you and see your face. And someday we'll share a room together again. Not like a hotel room or something, but like, I don't want to make it weird, but like like a video room. Like we'll do a video That would definitely the be room. end of the world yeah. if that happened. That is <laughs> definite end of the world stuff. And I will bring baked goods when that happens. Good. And coffee. That, that is the deal. Um, you know, we have, it was such a whirlwind of a season that we really didn't even have a chance to, I, you know, my fully intended, well, sure, we'll be able to do one of these chats with Howdy at some point, but my gosh, I don't think people realize that 60 games in 66 days is pure insanity. And it was, I did 64, I'm sorry, 58 of the 60 games thinking, oh, it's just two months. I can do it all. That was absolute nuts. There was just no time to do this but uh, definitely an odd season so interesting and I know that you are keeping up with everything and I know that you have opinions and plans for everything so it's just really great to get you in here to uh, let's let's just kind of hash this thing out yeah absolutely so I think we want to look back quite a bit at how this season went for the Mariners for baseball and we want to spin it forward to the things that we're going to be watching you know the the things that are on our list that we think could happen this offseason I'm real curious to hear a lot of your thoughts based on what we saw, but let's just start here. How do you think the 60-game season went off for the Mariners this year? Well, I think it was a huge success that they, A, they got on the field and they stayed on the field. When you saw what happened around baseball, there was so much uncertainty at the beginning, and I think probably having a younger, close-knit team. Scott Service is very conscientious about that kind of thing. 
Uh, and I think the organization kind of being out in front of the protocols, because if you remember all the way back to March, we were the first area that was impacted. The Mariners, had this been a regular season, would have played their first two weeks of games elsewhere because of what was going on in Seattle. So they were out ahead of all of this. And so I think that helps. So yay, 60 games, they got him. In terms of the plan, because that's what everybody is interested in, I think the Mariners saw so much. And I, I think that when you talk to anybody over there, it's positive, positive, positive. And when you look at individuals, it's hard not to. There are just a few hiccups, I think, in, in what we saw. But I think a lot went better as far as getting the guys out there and evaluating them and trying to move them forward. I think they were able to accomplish that. But that leaves me with a question. The further away that we get from it and, and actually having it in front of us, is 60 games enough? And I think in some respects, it's enough for the player. You look at a guy uh, like Evan White saying, okay, you know, this didn't work, this didn't work, and this didn't work, and you're able to send him back, and he has an idea. And 60 games is enough to figure out that he's got to do, you know, he's got to fix the swing. But then you look at a player that had more success, and, and you look at the numbers that they had, and you really are left asking, is that real? Because how much of that 60 games and what they put up was made up of just half of that? And everybody could have a good month or a good two months. Look at what Daniel Vogelback did at the start of last year. That wasn't him. And if that had been this year and you'd looked at him and said he's going to hit 45 home runs this year, that wouldn't have been the case as that had played out. So I, I think that the Mariners have a little bit of an advantage with these younger players in that they know them better than they did Vogelback. They brought him up in a system. But I, I think that you're, you're still kind of holding your breath going into next season, still trying to determine what is real. I think on the pitching side, that's a little bit easier because you can break down pitches analytically. And a big league pitch is a big league pitch no matter what field it's thrown on. And I think that you were able to learn a lot about the individuals and how they handled situations and how they grew or they stumbled. And I think that that was important. But on the offensive side, I think that you still have a lot of answers that you need to get to. And that'll take time. Let's go a little bit more granular into the actual team and the players you're referencing. Uh, the Mariners entered the season with a lot of question mark players, a lot of guys they were hoping on, a lot of answers they were looking to see. And, and like you said, there may be an element of not knowing exactly if that stuff can extrapolate to a full season. But based on the sense you got from being around the team, talking with people involved with the organization, what things do you think they feel like they know coming out of this season? I think they feel really good about the pitching. They know that Justice Sheffield far exceeded anybody's expectations, and they know that in doing so, um, he changed pitches, that the two-seamer plays for him very, very well, that the slider is still a great slider, and that the changeup is becoming um, more of a viable pitch for him, which, of course, he will need. And they also know he know that he can compete his butt off, and that he's growing. And he was one of the, the – just hearing him talk about pitching – and his mindset change going from, he was a fastball guy, you know, out of out of high school. He was a guy that was going to go and try and blow people away. And that's been his mentality forever. When he changed to a two-seamer, you're no longer that. It's not just changing the pitch. You're changing your mentality. And you become more of a pitcher. And he got that. He got that right away. And he embraced it. And I think having Marco at the top and seeing what Marco was doing, I think really kind of helped with that. But that opened his eyes and I think raised his ceiling, which is fantastic. 
Let's um, pause there real quick because I do want to go to Marco Gonzalez, and I totally agree with you with Sheffield. I mean, I think he proved that he belongs in the top half of the rotation and that you can feel good about him being one of the people you're going to lean on when you're a playoff team. So I think that's an important development. But Marco Gonzalez, tell me more about the story of Marco from 2020 and what you saw and heard. I thought it was absolutely ridiculous, to be honest with you. I, I think that, you know, Marco's progression, and that's one of the things that in what I do will be one of the things that I remember and, and was grateful that I got to see the entire thing. Now, we weren't there in St. Louis, but we saw him after the trade. And he, when you sat him down, he was still a young kid, former first-round pitcher, top guy at his college, top guy in his conference, Friday night starter, you know, that kind of thing, everything. He had that mentality uh, but he was coming off of the Tommy John surgery, and he did not know. He 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 literally said in an interview, "I you know I've just got to go out there and give it my all because you know coming off surgery, I honestly don't know how many bullets I have left." And I've never heard that mentality from a pitcher, let alone that young of a pitcher. And I'm like, whoa, you know that's that's there's a lot he's hesitant, you know, going out there. Well, that got put behind him. He went from a 91, 92 mile an hour fastball with a plus-plus change-up guy to all of a sudden, you know, he's an 88. He's got, like, one of the, the, I think, the bottom three fastballs, if not the slowest fastball, lowest velocity fastball in baseball. So, okay, no problem, because there was a year we all looked at each other and said, we know he can throw harder. Why isn't he doing this? Well, he was doing other things. Develop a cut. Cutter becomes a good friend. The next thing you know, all the change-ups back. This year, the curveball looked better. And all of a sudden, he's a five-pitch pitcher, which is great. And you're like, okay, and you know he's gritty. And, you know, he's got the chip on his shoulder. And, you know, he's going to go out there and, and give you everything that he has. And I wrote about this in our, our 710 piece. But I think the feeling when he was named the opening day starter two years ago and became the number one this year was, well, by default, he's not a real ace. And I'm the first person that will say that not every team has an ace. I don't believe every team has a number one, but not every team has an ace. So, I mean, he's not going to be anywhere near that, right? Well, the more you watch him... And more you watch him develop, and this year he comes in and he walks seven batters in the entire 60 games. He's missing bats. Five pitches that he can put every one. And I really kind of wonder if what he is doing is going to kind of be the wave of the future for a lot of pitchers. Like, we just see velocity, velocity, velocity right now. Guys can catch up to velocity. Now, strikeout numbers are wildly up. But I wonder how much of it is is because those that don't have the velocity are starting to uptick. And not everybody can get that command. And not everybody can read the swings. And not everybody has the smarts. But, you know, you can go on to any website and pull up a heat zone map. And you can find out, you know, where every hitter. Every hitter is vulnerable somewhere. Marco Gonzalez can hit that spot. And he's absolutely unmerciful in going after that. That's how he's doing it. That yeah. is an incredibly valuable skill for a veteran pitcher, for a guy who sticks in the league forever. And when Marco shows that he's got five pitches he can use, that's also the sign of somebody who knows, like, you can stay at the top of a rotation when you do that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to hide from my criticism. I was one of the people in that group who was very hard, very down on Marco early and often, and even as recently as this last year, this last offseason, we did podcasts. And I had wondered, and I didn't think that he was going to be anything different than what he had shown the last two years with nearly identical stats in two years with full years in the majors. I thought that's what he was going to be, but what you and some other people had pointed to is the things that the Mariners believed in him in that he had hoped to move on and, and, and improve on. He did. He accomplished those things, which is one of the great 
signs of, of the great signs of greatness really in, in a player's development. So um, yeah, I have nothing to say other than effusive praise and confidence that he's going to stay here. If he's a sub three and a half ERA kind of pitcher at the top of your rotation, throwing 200 innings, there's, I mean, that's gold, especially for what kind of money they pay him. And to be honest with you, I don't think they thought he would do, he would progress. I think they thought when they signed him, this is what we're getting. And we're really happy with that because you throw and they knew the leadership that he would bring and the impact that he would have on the young players. I don't think they thought that he would up his game, his own personal game, and be as effective as he was this year. They knew he'd be good, but I don't know. And the other thing, you know, wins are the worst stat in the world to evaluate a pitcher by, but he wins. And the guys like playing behind him, and he uses his defense. And I think there's something to be said for that, especially if you seasons where you expect to be competitive. Those wins obviously mean a lot more. Don't care how you get there. We just want to see it. You, you mentioned defense, and I think this is a good way to transition to the rest of the roster and some of the things they saw. Kyle Lewis in center field, uh, J.P. Crawford at shortstop, Evan White at first base. Tell us a little bit more about what you heard and saw from those young players at those key positions. And then let's maybe talk a little bit about this new wave of defense. I mean, this, there's a new way to play Mariners baseball now that hasn't been the case <laughs> since I've ever watched it. Uh, they play some good defense, and they play consistent defense. It's new. So let's uh, talk a little bit about those three. Well, Evan White, you know, I, everybody just sings his praises. He's the best defender at first base in all of first in all of baseball. If you look at defensive runs, he doesn't have the top score there. I'm not sure he's going to get the awards because of that. I think he should. I think he does so many other things. But I think it's one of those that you don't know until you actually see it in front of you because you never think that defense at first base is that important. Well, sure, it means a lot to your shortstop, to your third baseman, and then if he can get you anything else, that does as well. He's also really kind of helped take pitchers out of some plays. They can position differently, take the second baseman out of plays. You think, okay, it's a bonus if you get that you know dramatic pop-out in foul territory. Well, yeah, but it's also an out. And again, when you're competing, those are so important. So I think you absolutely defensively, and he gave us a 3-5-3 this year, which is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen on the diamond, which was just fantastic. But yeah, Evan White is as advertised. That's not a surprise. So that's great to see. Uh, Kyle Lewis was the big surprise defensively because nobody thought we'd ever see him in center field, you know. He had catastrophic knee surgery. Took forever to come back. He's got to be on a corner, right? Goes out to center, and you know he's not a plus-plus center fielder, but we saw him make progress with it. And then we saw the absolutely, you know, phenomenal plays, and it hit me. Well, of course, he's been a center fielder all of his life. Why should this be surprising? So I think that you're going to see even improvement from him in that regard. And he's going to be one of the biggest center fielders you've ever seen out there. I don't know if people understand. He is a giant. Kyle Lewis is a is very, very tall and very, very broad, but he is also extremely athletic and runs like you would never know that he had that knee surgery. You know, he runs, he's got good routes out there. He's got good eyes out there. And then, of course, he can do what he does, you know, did robbing a home run every now and then, which I'm not sure I've ever seen a player get up higher than he got on that. So that was a huge surprise. And they saw that that is improvement that he made in the shutdown. That wasn't what they saw in Peoria. That wasn't necessarily what they saw last year. And when I talked to him about his shutdown, it was, I think, no, it was uh, right when summer camp started. He talked about he had, like, a plan every day. He had, like, five different coaches. He had a speed coach. He had his hitting coach. He had his weight coach. And he was able to, where he was at, not all players could do this, he was able to go. But there was something specific that he tackled every day. And he came back almost a different player or an elevated player. And I think that that definitely paid off for him 
in the outfield, which was a lot of fun to see. Scott Service saw it in summer camp and thought, you know what, let's put him over in center and just see how this plays. And now I think you have your center fielder. Why wouldn't you? Uh, you've got others. If you know, if Kelnick can beat him out there, fine. But you know, I'm not sure Kelnick's going to be robbing plays at the wall the way Kyle did. Maybe he's getting smalls that he didn't. But that that you know, it'll be something interesting to watch and how that all unfolds. I think you had another. Who's yeah, let's talk about J.P. Crawford. So coming into the season, a lot of people, uh, myself included, are wondering a couple things about him. One, can he play consistent defense? He's got all the range and all the tools and makes all the plays, but can he be the guy you can lean on in that position? And then secondly, where's the bat going to be? Is he going to be a 220 slap hitter or is he going to be a drive the ball force? You know, is, is there something there? Tell me about what you saw to him. Uh, that's a two-parter, and it's good that it's two parts. The defense, I think he had some bobbles at the beginning of the season, and then it evened out, and now I think that you are seeing um, approaching gold glove defense from him. I know that sounds outrageous, but the numbers are backing it up in a short season. And the consistency, I, I think, much, much more consistent after those first couple of weeks of the season. And you got to remember, that's without having Perry Hill there and – he, you know, there were phone calls and whatnot, but I think having Perry Hill there is going to help out in a lot of different places for this team next year. So I, I have full confidence that uh, JP can be the shortstop, although down the road, if there is a big free agent shortstop available, I think you one, could one or six. move him to second one, base. One shortstop or six shortstops? Uh, how many? You know, <laughs> uh, take your pick. Um, but I, I think that he could be moved there. Um, but for another year, if he makes the progress that he did this year defensively, you might question it. Of course, if the other guy's got the bat and is good defensively, he's going to get that spot. Deal with that problem when you get to it. Offensively, and this is what's really, really tough. J.P. Crawford has never played a full season in the big leagues. He's played in parts, I think, of four now in the big leagues. And it's been up and down. And I would... This year, I would almost say it was a down season. After his first few weeks, after being moved mm-hmm. into that leadoff spot, he struggled mightily with the bat. And they like his eyes, not going to strike out a lot. That's great. He's got to connect more. He's not connecting. And the other thing is, is talk to Mike Flowers about this quite a bit. And I, I do think that the thought is, is no, he's not going to be a slap hitter. He's going to be more of a doubles with potential for a little bit of pop. Blowers thinks he is going to get bigger. There is room to get bigger. But I have questions. He's got the skills in that he knows what to do at the plate. It's not coming together at the plate. And that is something that I think needs to be taken a closer look at. And, again, we haven't even had the opportunity to see it full-time in the bigs. So that's one of my big question marks. Is, well, Shannon, you know, I I don't... Mean, that's hard. The shortstop position is not one that you a lot of times get to have a lot of leeway to work your way into because – this league is littered with great shortstops. I mean, a guy like Andrelton Simmons is not even going to be a top-of-the-market guy, and he's perhaps one of the best defensive shortstops anyone's seen in 20 years. Like, there's not a lot of wiggle room for guys to have a lot of grace to work their way up to being great at that position just based on what's available. Yeah, but I think he's going to get that opportunity at least in the first half of next year. So I, right. I don't think it's, you know, I, I think he is your shortstop next year. I hope we see more offense from him. We talk about the consistency of defense. I'm actually more concerned about the consistency of offense because uh, there's he hasn't done it yet in a sustained period of time at the big leagues. But if you ask what he can be, I do think 
that it is in him to be more than, you know, a light hitting shortstop or a slap hitting shortstop. I, I think that he could be more of a doubles guy. And I do think that there could, you know, the potential for some pop is in there. Uh, we didn't see it. At the end of this year, the last four games, I believe, it might have even been three, he started going the other way with everything. And the next thing you know, he's like seven for 11. And, you know, perhaps getting back on the right track in, in that regard. But uh, he needs to show more offensively. Otherwise, it's going to be down, you know, at the bottom of the lineup. And I don't think that's ideal. I want to get to where the Mariners stand compared to the division, especially how things have shaken out in 2020. Uh, but I first want to give you some more time to just talk about some of the things that you observe from this Mariner team, general trends, specific players that stood out. Uh, would love to just know more about what you saw. I, the and, and Scott Service talked about this quite a bit. He feels confident that this team can win. And what really jumped out at me was that the group that was together at AA really kind of took over. Um, we weren't there up close, but I think we were close enough and we talked to enough people to know that they got comfortable. And I don't mean complacent, but I mean, okay, we belong and let's go ahead and just move forward with this right now very quickly. And I think a lot of that is because they knew the guys around him and also because they had a foundation. And this was talked about when Jerry DePoto first came over to the team. It's not just putting together the team. It's not just putting together the minor leagues. It's also coming up with a kind of Mariners way, like the Cardinals way. And while I don't think there's an, you know one big handbook for it, there are definite programs and philosophies and everything that is just ingrained throughout the minor leagues. And to see it in front of you, a lot of what we saw came from that. And that is as up and running as anything is in this organization right now. So, you know, to see the guys come up and be able to uh, stick together, play together, and through some big adversity, just getting into the ballpark was a hassle. Mm. None of these guys, most of these guys were not living at home, did not have their families with them. Most of them were just staying in a hotel across the street all season long. I mean, it was kind of a, an eye-opener just to see guys walk across the field at the end of games with a bag, a brown paper bag, which had a dinner in it for them. You know, guys were not living the big league life this year. And that was home and road. I mean, that wasn't just, it was, you know, go back to the hotel and, and what they got to do, their fun for the day was going to the ballpark and playing baseball, but it was hard. And they got through that. And then in dealing with the social justice and the racial injustice issues, uh, it was amazing to see where they were with that, how they came together, how that wasn't just one person saying we're going to do this, how there were so many conversations even leading up to the events. Um, it was something that they were already tackling. Um, it was something where they felt that they could go in and talk to Scott Service about throughout the day, which I thought was great. And then it was something that at the end of all the conversations, it was you had 28 men on the same page saying, yep, let's go out. We're not playing. We and I think that that is huge in that that gives your players who have dealt with that. I can't imagine they carrying that around forever and not feeling that you can say anything about it. That's only going to make you feel better on the team. And not only now can you talk about that, but you know your teammates uh, support you and understand a little bit better. And and so I thought that that was just um, stunning, eye-opening, 
just an absolute flip-flop of anything that we've ever seen in baseball where you just don't talk about the uncomfortable stuff, you know, in the clubhouse, even with a guy next to you in the locker. And, uh, you know, they, they absolutely, you know, said we're not going to just be entertainers out here. We're going to use our platforms and use our voices. And to see a young team do that, uh, pretty incredible. And it's got me really curious as to how this moves forward and, and what um, – how this changes baseball and how baseball can perhaps try and change some, some other areas. You know, you look at the sport and they managed to stay out on the field. They all wore their masks. They used testing. Look what happened. You got a full season. I think they were more kind of showing how it could be done mm. in an effective manner. And uh, I thought that that was just night and day from anything that we've seen out of the sport. Uh, I, I think bodes really well for the future. So that was, you know, one of the biggest takeaways for me that this is a team and they're not just going to go out there and, and play baseball and be done with it at the end of the day. And they're not just going to go out there and play for their own numbers. I, I think that um, all that part, all the intangible part of trying to put together a, a championship team, I think that that was accomplished. Then on the field, oh, it was a beautiful thing to finally see great base running and the impact that it can have. And uh, yeah, I've been curious over the last couple of years, and I could never get a straight answer, but how many runs were the Mariners losing on the bases or not picking up on the bases? How many runs can you add a season if you just run the bases correctly or smartly? Well, not only that, now they've got guys that can steal bases, but uh, that was of impact and will be of impact going forward. And when you say you don't know what's real in a 60-game season, I know that's real. Uh, I also know the defense is real. The defense was leaps and bounds you know, better than anything that we've seen on a consistent basis in a long time. And that also is something that will save them runs. And uh, those are all parts of things, and it can kind of keep you going. And I think had a big part to do with why their win total was a little higher than some thought it would be. Things aren't going well. You know, they're the controllables. You can control the controllables, and that's going to get you something. Well, when you start adding, okay, I've got my, you know, 250 additional plate appearances this year. I feel better at the plate. I'm not going to the plate with my C swing. I have my A swing right now. Uh, then that's when things really start to take off. So I think, I think. Everything that I just said basically adds up to what really jumped out at me was I think they set a foundation. Mm. That's really encouraging. Uh, from an outside perspective, I came away from this season more excited about the short-term future than I have in quite some time. Uh, just seeing how the Ducks are lining up for this team, seeing some of the players that have established themselves, hearing from people like you to talk about some of the culture and the atmosphere that's being developed within the team despite the fact that they missed the playoffs again for like the 20th year in a row, they still like there's positivity coming out of this and it's not feigning positivity to me. It's not artificial stuff. And a part of that has to do with what's going on in the AL West. What did you see from what happened in the 60 game season with the Astros, the A's and the angels? Uh, I saw a bunch of teams start to fall apart, which was great. Uh, if, if you want to break it down, <laughs> We'll take it. <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? I mean, the Mariners have been taking their lumps. They took that step back, you know? So, so it's 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 okay to see other teams all of a sudden get to the point where they've got to start thinking about that. Um, the Astros, I'm just laughing because of the social media stuff that they put out after they won their wild card series. We're back. And, you know, you all doubted us. And they're getting kind of irreverent about it. But I'm like, okay, that's two games. You were terrible the rest of the season in comparison to what you were before. Uh, I, I had heard 
from people around their organization that it really did impact on the field and in the clubhouse that they got caught and that this was the view of them. And that was something that they did carry for a long time. Uh, I think they are hurting. I think that they never really kind of restocked that rotation. They did add Grinky, but Grinky is not Garrett Cole. He's not Charlie Morton, or at least he isn't in my book. He can be, but I don't think he is what they were when they were in that rotation. Verlander is done. Uh, he will not in his career, but he has one year remaining on the Astros. They will pay him what about thirty million dollars not to between pitch next year. Between him and Granky, yeah. Between him and Granky, they pay sixty-seven million dollars to those two players next season. Ouch! Too bad. And I do want Verlander to come back, and I'm really excited to see what kind of the next edition of Justin Verlander, what thirty-seven, thirty-eight year old Justin Verlander is. He'll work his tail off to get there. Um, and then they've got, well, they signed up, they, uh, this was interesting. So they had three major players coming up for free agency this year. Uh, George Springer, Yuli Gurriel, and uh, Brantley. Gurriel signed a one-year extension a couple of days ago. And I'm wondering that with the uncertainty of how free agency is going to go this offseason and if teams will spend after losing money this year, I'm wondering if we're going to see more one-year deals that would kind of makes sense to me but we're just going to have to wait and see but regardless uh they're down their ace pitcher their younger pitchers were showing a little bit of progress toward the end of the year but i just they're not going to be the astros of 17 through 19 and then they're going to have to decide what to do because they have even more names coming up the next year and they're paying big dollars right now so i think astros are on the downswing mariners by the way uh went 20 and 20 against the division and I was really encouraged by what I saw in that last stretch of tough games with the series against the A's, the series against the Astros. And again, they're just one series. I don't know how much you can take from that, but they take from that. Yeah, we can beat these guys. And that's what's important to a young team. A's are good. They have good pitching. They have a great bullpen. I don't know what happens uh, when it comes time to spend money to add to it or to keep their own players. So that's a so team that is going to be that big force or stay there a long time. The Rangers are a man. They've been in that in-between spot for a long time, and they kind of thought they were building up, and I haven't seen it. But I guess word came out yesterday that they're going to begin a teardown. Um, they'll have money to – well, they would have had money to spend because of the new building, and they're not getting that big – you know, until they can get that place full, they're not going to have the dollars that they planned on having to try to compete. So maybe that's why they've decided to break down, and the Angels are just a mess. They just, you know, fired their GM. I uh, have an owner that kind of, he hasn't done it in a while, but he likes to make the moves himself, which is never a good thing. Mike Trout, the greatest player on the face of the earth, is no closer to the postseason right now, which is, is not good. Uh, kind of had a little bit of an uptick at the end of, the, of this year, but I don't see, you know, unless they make another big, and they could, significant free agent addition, both I think in the field and in the starting rotation, I don't think that they're, you know, heading anywhere. They make me nervous, Shannon. They make me very nervous because they okay. just let their shortstop go. Their Pujols is coming off the books after next season. So uh, they, have, they don't have any major money that they're really investing in their rotation. They make me real nervous. And they've got an owner who, like the Illich family, doesn't really care about anything other than I want what I want. And I will spend to get what I want to get. And, and how's I don't that care what you think. For them? 
Oh, how well? is that worked out for It's them? worked out well enough in free agency. That's, how, that's why they have players. Albert Pujols. That's why they have Pujols, and they're still paying him, and they're paying Made Josh the Hamilton. more recently than the Mariners, is all I'm saying with this strategy. So, But okay. it's only because they have more availability. The Rangers don't make me nervous because they've gotten themselves so far behind the eight ball that they're in trouble. The Astros mm-hmm. kind of make me nervous, but not so much because – their young, their next young core, which is filled with elite prospects, hasn't yet come forward and taken the reins of that organization. That was my great fear with the Rangers dynasty, is that the next group, the Forest Snows and all those guys would come up and just dominate. And that hasn't happened. They haven't just become the next Alex Bregmans yet. So I have a little less fear about them. But the Angels just have this untapped ability to be able to spend and get a couple of guys. I mean, when you talk about having those, you know, Rendon and uh, Trout and Otani and then throw in Francisco Lindor at shortstop like I mean, that that team could be really dangerous with some elite elite town in their prime did you see what happened to Otani in the last month of the season I wasn't paying close enough attention he got benched yeah it was DHing and he was hitting one something and Madden benched him for a week mm-hmm. and then played him sparingly afterwards which was kind of a kind of a surprise right there but yeah he was having issues at the plate as well be worth watching. I'm going to chalk that up to some COVID times because that guy was a monster <laughs> and he's still in the prime of his career. So, uh, yeah, but no, it's a, it's worth watching. It's a good point. So let's spin that forward then. The Mariners missed the playoffs by two games this season. They surprised themselves even with their win-loss record. They enter That's next like, season wow. with, four, with $48 million <laughs> in guaranteed contracts. You pay all your arbitration. You're up in the 70s. That's close to the bottoms in baseball. Are they serious? Are they really going to be making a playoff push in 2021 how are they going to approach this offseason well i think depoto's been clear about it and i think we should probably learn to listen to what he says because pretty much everything that he has said that he would do he he does and he doesn't really hide a lot um he said that his targets this offseason are the bullpen and to me that's encouraging because if he wasn't planning on competing he wouldn't do something and he said something significant in the bullpen which is even better because obviously you're going to make bullpen moves regardless. So that I found interesting. Uh, and then also a starting pitcher. He said they were starting pitching depth, I think, is how he put it at one point. I think, uh, you know, they love Taiwan Walker. Uh, Taiwan Walker would like to come back, but he is also a free agent for the first time. And so I think that it's not an absolute done deal by any means. I hope they can bring him back. I thought he was good for this team. And on the hill, I think that he actually started to take some steps forward, too, coming off the surgery and starting to do things a little bit differently. And I don't really see them doing a lot more. What I think what Depoto has got in mind is that he does need to see more from these young players, and that's going to be the first half of next season. And he's going to give them enough to go out there. And I love the quote. Uh, he said on uh, Danny and Gallant, you know, we want to support them so that we get the wins we feel we should get. And the question is, how many wins do you think you should get? And, you know, they map that out. They know exactly how many wins they think they should get with the group and where they are in the plan. And what, what is that number? Well, just think about and, how many games they blew because of middle relief. And that's the worst thing in baseball. When your middle relievers come in and blow a game that has a multiple run lead, that's just awful. That stinks. You, if you if you can get rid of that general idea, 
then you can start thinking about is that two, three over the course of 162? Is that four, five, six games? Like now we're talking about a real difference. So if you can sort of add to the top end of that bullpen and push some better arms back down into the middle, I think you're in a great spot. So I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a fan of the general move to add to the bullpen. I think it's the right move. Yeah. And even if it's a big name thinking that they're going to need to, you know, save some wins at the end and not just the middle, then that's even better news. I don't know if he's going in that direction, but what I think he's doing is he's going to play a second half. And if they have a good first half, you know, he's not a big free agent guy anyway. He's, he's not going to be limited by what's available at the store. He's going to go out and try and trade for it. Mm -hmm. So I I think that uh, trade deadline will be where he would make the biggest impact if they look ready to go. And I think also something that was probably on his mind was how many teams are getting into the postseason next year? If they go expanded again, then, you know, you, you definitely need to add because I don't think you need to add that much, although over a 162 game season and, I think the feeling is it'll be, if not a full season next year, much closer to that. Although, under these protocol, I don't know. I think people would lose their minds if they tried to do 162. So I think that's worth following but and, and see what the input is and how much they can do if it's this strong, uh, the protocols are this strong. But what they probably would do is assume that they would change throughout the season. I digress. But I, I think that... Um, if it is an expanded playoff, I think that they'll do everything they can to add to get there, unless it's just an absolute catastrophe at the beginning of the season. Now, let's talk a little bit. Let's take a step back and just talk about how the offseason could generally go in baseball. You have a lot of teams that will be talking about losing money in 2020. Um, you have a team in the Mets that's sold for an incredible amount of money in valuation expansion. All that to say... Are we going to see a major shift for one year in how teams spend money? Or do you think we'll get to something that's close to how it was looking in 19 and 20? Yeah, I have no idea, to be honest with you. And I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen there. I I kind of tried to look to the NFL and the numbers that they had there, and they were big. But the NFL is only losing one season to this. And baseball, or not even, you know, they're losing one They've got some fans, but they're they're TV contract based, so that's they're okay. I think that they will not lose as much as baseball did, and baseball stands to lose a lot more uh, next year. You're not going to start the season and have everybody in the stands. There's no question about that. So I, I think that teams will ultimately be conservative, but I think that there will also be teams that are out there, and I think the smart ones will look to rather than go on a yearly budget, you know, kind of put three years together or two years together. And I think they might be looking for bargains, which really kind of had me intrigued by Gurriel's deal and that he signed just one year. So I think a lot of things, different things could happen. And I by no means am saying, yeah, you know, it's a tough one because nobody likes to see the baseball owners say that they're losing money because they're all billionaires and this and whatnot. But it is a business. They are in terms of where they have been in the past and what they have in the past, taking a tremendous hit. They can choose to go outside of their business model and and spend, but um, ultimately, I think that I'd be kind of surprised if they weren't conservative. Hmm. Although a team that you know spends like the Yankees does, is this going to slow them down? I don't know. Hmm. I think it's a tough one because. 
I think that there will be deals out there because of this. And it was all kind of weird even before this year where it's, you know, your, your top players were getting monster, monster dollars. It was your middle guys that weren't really getting the contracts that they were worth. So it's been going in a strange direction for some time. And, and Shannon, I, I think that's that's exactly where things continue to trend. Baseball's been an anomaly in that, that their middle class has made some significant money and they sort of had multiple tiers. Like you had your top tier mega deals and then you had another tier below that that was still making a ton of money. And then you had your average guys and your, your middle guys. That just doesn't really happen in the NFL. You either get paid the most or the least. Like it's in these other sports, there's not, unless there's a salary structure in place like the NBA where you have to have certain guys making certain, amount, certain amounts, these leagues move towards the big guys get the most and everyone else just gets less and less comparatively. So I could see this really doing the exact same thing in baseball. And for a team like the Mariners, if they're willing to take that dive and say, let's keep the payroll close to where we intended we were going to be when we originally said we were going to compete, there could be a chance to get some really, really quality players for prices that they wouldn't have had to pay two or three years ago. It'd be cheaper now than they would have been two years ago. So I'm curious to watch that aspect. But it has to be the player. They're not going to just grab guys, you know, because of their price tag. Because, again, that's just not DePoto. But he was asked when we spoke to him on Monday if the bargain was out there, would that be something that he would jump at? And he said it was something he would consider. He would definitely have his eyes open for it. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, now let's zoom in a little bit closer to 2021. What holes do you think the Mariners have on the roster? We talked a little bit about the bullpen. How many players do you think that they'd be going out to look to try and add to their 2021 roster before the season starts? Oh, that's a good question. Definitely one starter, like one legitimate can start now starter, and then probably one in reserve. Uh, mm-hmm. you got to remember, we, will, we should see Logan Gilbert at some point next year. So mm-hmm. they're going to need a placeholder. And it might actually be somebody who's there right now, you know, and if somebody is struggling, they get sent down and Logan Gilbert gets called up, kind of how they used to do it in baseball. I think um, bullpen, I would think probably like legitimately because he's going to bring in a ton of bullpen arms because that's what he always does. But like actual signs, probably about three is what I would guess. Um, They don't have a closer. If they're going to compete, they're definitely going to need a closer. So, you know, work to be done in the bullpen. So I see a few there uh, legitimately ready to go. And then who knows what will show up after that. Um, As far as the position players go, uh, I think that in the outfield, you're still, you're you're waiting. You're trying to hold a spot right now or two spots if, if you look, you know, a year out. And I think a lot has to do with if Hanniger can go or not. I think that's somewhere where you could bring in somebody, although they also probably wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more of Braden Bishop out there. They liked Jose Marmaleos, and that's kind of interesting skill set in that he can play first base and uh, the outfield and play the outfield credibly, not like just a first baseman in the outfield like you've seen for a long time in baseball. But maybe perhaps, but I don't, I don't see really investing in the outfield with what's coming. Uh, possibly a player like, you know, we've got to remember Ty Francis there. So the DH spot and it is pretty much taken. And then he can also, I think they'll probably try and get him a third a little bit and see what he is there. That'll be an interesting situation because if he is the guy that's going to replace Kyle Seager, and I don't know that he is, how's he going to do that with Kyle Seager playing third base all the time? So that, that'll be interesting to see how they kind of work that out. Um, I'm 
perhaps going after a, a Dylan Moore type, not the Dylan Moore we saw this year, but the Dylan Moore that we saw when he was signed. And I believe he was the first free agent signing uh, before the 2019 season. And we all went, Dylan Moore, who's that? And Jerry's like, yeah, no, he's on the roster. So perhaps another kind of infield outfield guy, but I don't see them adding a ton. Interesting. I, uh, you know, I think we're pretty confident that they're going to roll out a six-man rotation for 2021. And that'll yeah. be an interesting statement to say, we're going on the limb. We're going to be pioneers in this. We're going to be on the front end of this instead of a follower of the trend. And we're going to set the stage for this as a six-man rotation. I think they liked how it worked this year. Scott Service talked to it. So did Jerry Depoto. Um, to me, I, I think I would feel more comfortable with them adding two legitimate starters and i would say one that they anticipate would be here on a multi-year deal and another one that's maybe more in that reclamation category even somebody like james paxton could be in that reclamation category of somebody who just had a terrible year his market may not be there the way he thought it originally would may sign that middling deal that i said doesn't exist anymore (laughs) between six and ten million dollars but somebody in that mode where if it works and you're good it's valuable if it doesn't work you're not out for long term Um, or if it works and you're not great you're still value there to trade them off so i could see them adding two legitimate starters but i agree with you three in the bullpen sounds great and one guy you really trust one multi-year deal guy that can be an anchor back there that you really believe in is going to solve your late game stuff. You can totally see that. And I think I'm with you. I, I think they add some veteran depth piece on the bench uh, in their actual regular lineup. I don't think they need a lot of starters there. I think they do want to see what they have, but um, you, you put all that together. I mean, it's a good list, but it's not a huge list of things they have to do. And with the as many free agent um, uh, relievers as they're going to be this offseason, they're going to have a huge pick of guys that they're going to be able to sift through if they really want to spend the money to do it. So I'm going to be real curious to see if they really do want to step up and stake their claim on some of those middle-tier starters to say, hey, we've, we're going to get something here. And then when Logan Gilbert's ready, when two of our starting pitchers get injured, because that happens – we're ready to go. You know, we're not leaning on anything that we're not sure about. We feel really confident in our six. So uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how they approach the starting pitching market this offseason. There are going to be some things that impact both the, the rotation and, well, they're, they're twined, the rotation and the bullpen. One of the things that they do go, and they are going with six. He said that, and I don't think they do that beyond 22. I think they're doing that because they have mm-hmm. young players and also because everybody's coming off reduced innings the year before. So managing innings, if they do play a full season next year, is going to be very, very tricky. Ultimately, I don't think they stick with that. Teams kind of traditionally haven't done that because then you've got to pay six starters. And it also puts a strain on your bullpen. You've got to have a bullpen. Remember, they had 28-man rosters this year. And uh, that might have been really, really tough to manage had it not been 28. Can you do that with 26? Well, you can if you've got a good bullpen, if you've got those veteran seasoned arms in that bullpen. And one of the things that they do have playing to their advantage right now is is that they, in spring training, basically mandated that all relievers can pitch at least an inning. And so that's something that should help going forward. But um, it's not quite as easy as we're just going to do six-man rotation. There are other variables that go into it. And the other thing is, is what happens with the minor leagues? Because you still understand wanting to, you know, put two better pitchers in the six-man rotation, but you still need to figure out what Justin Dunn, Justin Dunn, and Nick Margavichus are. And if there's not a place for them to do that, then 
or if the minor leagues look different, then I think that they will be the priority over hmm. getting that arm at that point. Yeah, that's interesting. See, this is where we start to get to the point of really trying to go hard on what you want to do and where you want to be. If you want to give yourself that chance at 2021 as a playoff year, 2022 as a playoff year, you can't afford to take as many risks as you did this year and the last year. You have to start to make a little bit more confident plays in certain areas. Now, granted, they're going to run Evan White out of first base, no matter if the fact that he hits 175. Like, there's some stuff that they're going to do, but are you going to are you going to risk the potential of a 2021 playoff run or a 2022 playoff run because Justin Dunn or Nick Margavishus may develop into your fourth starter on a playoff team? That's yes. where the questions become a challenge to me. They are. They are because ultimately I think it's still the development. I think that the kids are still going to be the priority in the first half. And so I think that they have to plan for first half baseball. They don't want to build to get to the playoffs next year. They want their players to give them the reason to add mm-hmm. so they can get to the playoffs. Mark, I think would be Gavishus and Dunn just seemed like a small sacrifice <laughs> that, uh, compared to Justin, Justice Sheffield and Jared Kelnick and Evan White and Kyle Lewis saying that you're going to slow those two guys down seems like a small sacrifice for a real, a better shot at a playoff run next year. You're not slowing my- them down. Whoa, whoa. How are you slowing them down? I mean, Evan White hit what this year? Kyle Lewis hit what the last month? You don't know what they are. This is for them as much as I'm yelling at a computer screen. <laughs> great. This I, is great. We need I waited to get back an hour. I waited an hour to We need to get back in the room. I, I just no, I waited I that hour. I wanted to make sure that we got it somehow because I, uh, is, I had to get under your skin there with that. <laughs> it is not the year of Justin Dunn and Nick Margavich's. Okay. <laughs> but they're in the same, there are a lot of other players that are in the same boat. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is exciting stuff. Uh, there's a lot of good feelings, good vibes. There's some open question marks. And to me, whereas I would see previous off seasons as real nerve wracking, I'm really not sure how they're going to make this thing work. I'm in a different mindset this off season approaching it. And I am interested and excited to see what they end up doing with the holes that they have and some of the young players they've got. Um, and I think you're in the same mode. So I'm curious to, to, unpack this as the months go by and the acquisitions start to come in. Well, we'll see what happens. It might be a quiet one, but uh, I think that the big, uh, you know, the thing, the big excitement is, is what these guys are. Are they really what we saw this year? Because if they are, then I think they are in good shape. They pick up, they continue to develop. Um, I'm personally going to be kind of guarding against a sophomore slump. It was a small sample, but there was a lot of good that outweighed the question mark. So we'll see what happens. And eventually for me, whether it's in the off season, which I don't think anything too big, although I'd be thrilled to get Taiwan Walker back, uh, will be, I'm more focused on what happens at that trade deadline next year. I think that that could be the difference maker. And I hope everything is normal. The trade deadline is when it should, and the season starts when it should. And there are 162 games and uh, they get through it the way, uh, you know, with flying colors, but we're just going to have to wait and see, and I think agree that uh, this year was uh, short but eye-opening for this organization in a good fashion. You didn't even ask me when Jared Kelnick's coming up. I guess we'll save that for the next podcast then. Right. <laughs> How's that for a tease? No guarantees that's the direction we're going to go in, but there will be more baseball talk. Hope you all have a good weekend, and we will be talking to you soon.